Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Jay, who during his NDE experienced a certain level of heaven, which we're going to learn about today. Jay, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you much for having me. I'm much appreciative. Glad to be here. Well, I think actually you need to start with a little bit of backstory before you go into your NDE. So let's start with that. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, I born and raised south side of Chicago. Um, I grew up and around a bunch of love, bunch of family, you know, friends, you know, um, bunch of support, you know, we, um, however, I, we had our ups and downs in our neighborhood because I grew up on the Inglewood uh, side of Chicago, which is a pretty rough side of Chicago. If I re- read about it in the news often. <laughs> um, in the 80s, my dad, uh, he was a drug dealer. Um, and my uncles was a drug, was drug dealers and were in gangs. And we often had um, uh, incidents in the neighborhood. You know, that sometimes involved them, you know, from shootouts to our our home getting raided. Uh, seemed like every weekend, <laughs> you know, uh, seemed like our home was getting raided every weekend to the point to where we almost, once they became used to it, you know. Um, we were, even though we experienced these things, my family never was short on love and support, you know. Uh, however, my mom, she saw it was getting too heavy and she didn't like that for her children. So uh, she was about to move us to the projects uh, of Chicago. But my grandmother, uh, she decided to buy a home for us, which is only a few blocks away. So when we moved to our new home, uh, it was still in Inglewood. We still experienced all kind of um, adversity, you know, gangs, drugs fights, shootouts, murders, you name it, you know, but the family always kept us together and full of love, you know, and everything that I learned and everything that I experienced growing up in the South Side of Chicago, it it made me strong enough to be able to handle the next thing that came my way to where it didn't bother me as bad, you know. Um, fast forward, to a few years later, became uh, start dancing professionally, uh, um, dancing what we consider house dancing in Chicago. Uh, we did multiple. Me and my buddies did multiple concerts. Uh, we did talent shows. Uh, did television shows. We did the. Uh, we were on the Apollo uh, Showtime at the Apollo twice. Uh, I was fifteen the first time it happened, and I was about twenty. 1920 the second time. Um, after our dancing career stopped, we uh, everybody started having families, and I started a family of my own. Um, by the time I had 
two or three children, my third child, um, my then mother of my children, she wanted to move to Columbus, Ohio, because her mom had just moved up here like uh, probably a year prior. Uh, I didn't want to leave, you know, because everything I knew was in the south side of Chicago. Uh, so there was something in our neighborhood that kind of made it easy for me because the crime started to kick up, started to get worse. You know, we started having drug dealers uh, that was literally steps away from our homes. You know, we would have children outside playing and uh, one day... Uh, my children were outside playing. I went on the side of my house and it was a bag of crack cocaine on the ground. And I, the children were running around, so any of them could have grabbed it, but I grabbed it and I was like, you know what? Y'all can have it. I'm up, <laughs> you know, bye. So packed up my little two-door Hyundai accent, you know, three children. One of them was in a car seat and uh, made it down here to Columbus. Uh, got here to Columbus, Ohio, 2001. And it was as if everything just started getting rougher for me. Um, the first year I moved up here, 2001, I had to find a, a job. You know, I was not used to the environment, but I had to find a job. And it was hard. And then me and the mother of my children, we broke up while we were, just got our first apartment. And the same night, I got a call that my grandmother had passed away. So that was heavy on me. We went to bury her. Uh, we came back the following year because uh, we had got back together again. The following year, she gave me my engagement ring back and it was done and over with. And again, that same night, as soon as they lied, lied in the bed, I got a call that my first cousin had passed away on the lawn of my grandmother's house who had just passed away murdered so i didn't have any time to grieve you know it was a lot going on and we were welcoming our fourth child uh i was still grieving i, I wasn't able to get it out the way it should have been but i made it was pushing through it um following year after that it seems like what was it 2005 i'm sorry 2004 i was diagnosed with severe depression and then 2005, I was diagnosed with lupus. And then 2006, we had a death in the family and I couldn't be there. And I want to say 2008, it was severe depression and anxiety on top of my lupus. And then it was every other year, there was a death in the family. Every other year, somebody, something was going on. And I had paternity uh, issues with the mother of my children. And that took a toll on me as well. So I was going through a lot. I was very stressed. Uh, my body was taken in a lot and I just didn't know how much more I can do, you know? So I turned to meditation. Uh, I started meditating. Uh, it helped me, it helped keep me, help keep me calm, you know, with everything that was going on when I should have broke, you know, I didn't, don't smoke, don't drink. So I didn't have any outlets, but meditating was that outlet for me. Um, a year, about a year after, of course, another definite family, another definite family. In 2012, I was diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism. Uh, I had a blood clot in my lung. 
Uh, we didn't know where it came from. It just popped up out of the blue. I was taking medication. Um, they told me it would be fatal, but I didn't think that fatal, anything fatal was going to happen to me, you know, because I was just living my life or just trying to live. Um, the following year, I want to say 2013, uh, my great-grandmother passed. Then another one passed. And then 2015, we, the same year, 2015, um, my uncle was murdered in my grandmother's house, uh, my other grandmother's house. And that same year, I found out that one blood clot turned to three blood clots in my lungs that year. Um, then probably like a couple of months before my incident happened, I went to the hospital because I was having chest pains and found out I had angina. <laughs> Go figure, which is a weakening of the heart muscles, which was from stress and everything. So I'm living my life. I'm trying to live my life and everything, just trying to get through everything. And I was very tired and exhausted. And then one evening, <laughs> I worked for Coca-Cola. Uh, I haven't worked for Coca-Cola for almost 20 years. Uh, one evening on the seventh, I want to say it was August 17th, the evening of August 17th, I came in from work, uh, came in my house. I had, I was having, uh, chest pains. I mean, you know, my chest was feeling funny, but it didn't, it wasn't hurting. You know, I wasn't concerned, but it felt a funny feeling in my chest. I brushed it off, went to, you know, just went about my evening, getting ready for bed, called my family, my brother, my mom, um, called them. I was in the kitchen. And next thing you know, I'm waking, in a ho waking up in the hospital about a week later. Um, I didn't know what had happened. I was connected to tubes. And, and there, when I opened my eyes, it was my family standing to my left, which with a like a or or light around them, <clears throat> and the doctors was there, and doctors was saying, "They say, Jay, do you know where you are? You know what happened?" And I couldn't talk because I had the trach and everything, and it was hooked up to tubes. I still have my trach uh, mark on my neck, um, and I couldn't talk and everything. But they proceeded to say, "You had a heart attack." They said, "You died." You know, I didn't think anything of it. They said, you were gone a whole day. Still didn't think anything of it. And they said, what had happened was that I drove myself to the hospital on the 18th, which was like early, early morning, probably like one, two o'clock in the morning, something like that. Drove myself to the hospital, parked my car perfectly. Soon as I walked through the emergency room doors, I collapsed and went into cardiac arrest. They called a cold blue. Doctors came out, uh, had resuscitate me. They got me back. And then I flatlined again. Uh, they got me back again. Then I flatlined again. Then they put a stent in my heart to uh, stabilize me. And since it wasn't a trauma hospital, they life flight me, uh, flew me to the nearest trauma hospital, where when I arrived, they said I went out two more times. And they got me back and they saw my eyes open. And they said, since my eyes was open, they said it seemed like I was a fighter and it was going to fight with me because I was still trying. Um, but they tried again the last time and they lost me. So this was probably like, 
like early, like three, like four in the morning or something like that. Uh, uh, before, right before they lost me, they had called my family when they were still working on me and they called my mom and told them, they said, uh, someone need to come up here with him because he's not looking good. We've been working on him for 45 minutes. And my mom was, was like, <clears throat> excuse me, she was like, 45 minutes and y'all just calling me about my baby? <laughs> you know, so she was, you know, feeling some kind of way. So they was like, hurry, he's not looking really good at all. He had heart attack. So they, you know, started to get ready and everything to come out. And then shortly after that, they called them back and said, we're sorry, he's gone. You know, we lost them. And of course, you can expect how they respond. You know, my mom's crying. Everybody, you know, dropped to their, you know, um, knees and everything. Social media, RIP post was going across social media saying that, you know, my cousin letting everybody know that I died, you know, last night. Um, and it, it was just flooding with condolences to my family. Uh, so they got me. They got to, they got home, they got up here to Ohio from Chicago, but my children were still staying here with their mom. Uh, so they got up here to Ohio probably that evening. And by the time they got up, my mom got off the elevator and she was saying, okay, where is my baby? Even though they told her I had passed away. And they, my children's mom told her, she said, he's been gone all day. He's been gone. And she just collapsed, you know, uh, but came to my room and everything. When they came to my room, I was hooked up to all kinds of tubes. Um, my organs had shut down because I was gone, deceased, but I was still hooked up. They gave my family the, they gave them a chance to come up and say their goodbyes. So they kept me on this machine until they was able to say, okay, go ahead and call it. And then they could start signing papers in there. But my daughter was saying, she said, no, he's still in there. The doctors were saying he's been gone the entire day. Sorry, there's nothing we can do. He's already gone. And she was saying he's still in there. Um, she said, give it a day. So my family that evening went to my house and started you know, started clearing out my house, started making memorial plans and everything. And the next morning, the doctors called them and said, hurry up. You want you won't, you won't believe this. We found a faint pulse. So, of course, they were shocked, you know, surprised, but happy at the same time. They rushed up. The doctors began to tell them, they said, even though we found a faint pulse, you still have a 20-something chance 20-something percent chance of survival. And if we do, we don't know what his chance of living, what his quality of life is going to be because everything had already shut down. And they decided, and they would, they didn't, they couldn't understand it for the life of them, what had happened or how this was happening. They were still shocked. So they put me in medically induced coma uh, to get my, you know, and put me on this machine called the ECMO machine where it pumped blood through my body give my heart a rest uh, because my heart wasn't strong enough to pump blood because it was faint, very faint. And, and they had me in a medically induced coma. And while I was in this coma, I had 26 strokes. Um, 
again, when this was happening, I had no idea what had happened. Uh, I thought I was asleep. You know, um, I thought that I was just, just sleeping. I, I didn't think anything of it. You know, I found myself, while all of this was going on, as far as me being seized with, and I, I found myself like floating down the highway here in Columbus. It was, and it was dark and gloomy outside. And when I put two and two together, because what had happened was the time that it happened, it was in the middle of the night. You know, it was dark, gloomy. So I was going down a, uh, like hovering down a expressway. You know, nobody was outside. And then I found myself going past this, uh, these landmarks that's here in Columbus uh, and where they call the brewery district. And it's this landmark is right in front of uh, like a Kroger. And, and I found myself passing that landmark. And the next thing you know, I'm in a tunnel. And this tunnel was was like it was it was surrounding you all around like a circle, but it was going all with like a tube tunnel and whatnot. And it was amber in color. I remember that. And there were people. It looked like people reaching, reaching up or reaching out. I mean, from all around you and everything. But it was nothing malicious. Like, not like they were trying to grab me anything. I was just walking, you know, just going. Um, once I got to the end, I like immediately shot straight up to space. And while I was up there, uh, I noticed again, I, I didn't have a body. I didn't have a form. I was just existing. I was just, I just was, you know, and I looked down at the footstool, like, you know, way away, but I saw the earth and from the earth, it was like, uh, it was like, it, it looked like a tree coming up from the earth, but it was energy circulating going inside and out. It was going in and out, up and down this tree, in and out of the earth. Um, again, I wasn't afraid or anything. Um, I saw that and then I looked to my left and it looked like uh, a wormhole or, or like a spiral of stars. Uh, I would classify it or look in it like maybe it's a wormhole or something. But years later, probably like a year ago, I was looking through some pictures like online and stuff like that. And I was like, that's what I saw. And come to find out what I had saw looking at those pictures was what they considered the Andromeda galaxy. Um, beforehand, I, I had no idea, you know, what I was experiencing, you know, so I saw it, then I saw the earth and it was, it was dark, you know, pitch black out, of course, but the earth and the thing was there, but it was like, you know, how you see stars from the earth, you know, when you get up there, you can't really see them. Um, so I heard my name being called. And I didn't know where it came from. And I looked to my right, didn't see anything. And then I looked back at that spiral of stars. I saw the earth, went back to the earth. Then I heard my name being called again. And next thing you know, it's just black, nothing else. And remember, nothing else after that. Um, and the reason I said that it was uh, like a level of heaven was because most people 
not most, but some people, they feel that, you know, heaven is just, you know, angels and, you know, and clouds and God and everything. But even, even in the scriptures that people read and stuff like that, it uh, uh, describes there was multiple levels of heaven. You know, even in the book of Enoch, it talked about there's like seven levels of heaven. And I was in one of those levels. You know, I didn't get way far, you know, that I could remember, but that's what I could remember. And when I regained consciousness, I opened my eyes and I saw my my buddy. He just came from up from Chicago to see me. Uh, saw my children around me, and it was, I, it was the. This may sound crazy, but it was probably the best rest I've ever had in my life. <laughs> you know, I was really relaxed. I was at peace. I had no fear, no doubt, no worry. Uh, I didn't even think about remembering or even trying to recollect anything. You know, I was just what they consider bliss. I was in a good place, you know. Um, I still had. Uh, marks from when they, my family came up, they said that when they first saw me, my body had started to swell, you know, because it was so long. So I still have like skin cracks all over my body to where my body started to crack. But I was in a good place. I did. It was the best I've ever felt, you know. And um, after I started getting, you know, continue getting better, put on dialysis, et cetera, et cetera. And the girl that I had just started dating, <laughs> I had just started dating her in December, 2015. We got serious in January of 2016. And the girl that we had just started dating, she was there, still there. And I was shocked to still see her, you know, it's like some girls are like, oh, this is too much for me. <laughs> you know, they would love, but she was still there, you know. Uh, and in fact, she works at the hospital where it happened. And she had just came in the house that morning, around seven in the morning. As soon as she walked in the house, my youngest son called her and said, dad died, you know, and she's like, what? She, he said, dad died and told her what hospital I was and she rushed right back up there. But she was still there. You know, she was still there. She was there every day. Um, and then one time she was there sitting by my side, was holding my hand and I looked up at her and I got a tear. In my, I started, you know, tearing up, you know, and then I looked back over and I couldn't talk again because I had trig and everything. And I looked back over it again and I moved my lips and I asked her, would she marry me? <laughs> you know, I was like, she read the lips, you know, she said, yes, of course, why not? And uh, there was no doubt that I was supposed to do that because what I felt and everything I felt was divine. You know, there was no concerns or anything, you know? And when I left the hospital, it's, I felt like everything that I was seeing, the bus, the clouds, the trees, everything looked foreign, like I had never seen them before. It's like I was seeing them for the first time, you know, 
uh, it's I was literally reborn. You know, it was it's not just a statement. I was literally reborn, and I had to get adjusted to being a part of this world again. And it's been a task. You know, it's, it's been a big task. You know, so that's where I'm at today. <laughs> Jay, thank you for sharing your experience with us. Do you remember your last conscious memory before you blacked out? Like maybe, do you remember driving to the hospital or anything? Nope. The only memory, the last memory I had was being on the phone, <laughs> you know, with somebody standing at my, uh, standing at my kitchen sink on the phone. That was the last memory that I had, the last conscious memory that I had. Uh, of that, um, however, about about two years ago, I was talking to my wife and I said, and I actually started to tear up and I kind of got shaky a little bit because I told her I said, I remember when I was, I remember opening my eyes and I was outside and. Apparently, it was me being taken to the helicopter. And I didn't remember that years later, only a couple of years ago, that I remember opening my eyes briefly to see that. And um, they said I opened my eyes at the hospital uh, when I was at the last hospital. Uh, I think I remembered that also a couple of years you know, ago or whatnot. And I remember a tear coming down my eye when that happened. That was about... That's the last memories that I had. At any time during your experience, did you understand that you had left your body and you were possibly dead? Nope. I, not at all. I had, I mean, I don't think most people would probably know what they were dead. <laughs> you know, sounds funny, but I, I had no clue. I didn't. No, I was dead. I had no clue what had happened. I thought maybe I was just asleep, you know, just sleeping and dreaming or something mm. like that. You know, so it was, it was a shock to me. But you did understand that you didn't have a body though, right? Right. It, it, that was a funny thing because I did understand that I didn't have a body, but I know this, I don't know if some people remember, you know, pay attention with like when they're dreaming sometimes. Like I know sometimes if I'm dreaming, I don't pay attention if I'm having a body or not, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's but, a good point. You know, but I, I mean, because you didn't know, you didn't look for that type of thing, you know. So when it was happening, I just, I just thought it was normal. But, you know, the, the ironic part was that when I regained consciousness, this place seemed like the dream. And that place seemed like it was real. Mm. You know, that place seemed like, like I had been there forever. You know, that it was it was just like natural, normal, you know, and this place seemed like the dream and it's weird dream <laughs> to this day. Well, that's a common response. Do you still feel like this place is dreamlike? Yeah, it, sometimes it doesn't seem real, you know. Um, when I, I've... When I've... The more I started getting... I want to say acclimated to this world and everything. Um, everything that people considered as normal, it just 
felt weird, you know, felt like I was sleeping, you know, just, it just didn't feel natural, you know. Um, my buddy and someone else explained it to me, uh, clarified it, but it felt like I had one foot in the spiritual world and one foot in the physical world. And I couldn't tell which which one I was supposed to grasp, you know. So, like, my wife asked me one thing one time. She said, uh, she said, do you, she said, are you still, because my, my attitude and a lot of my whole outlook on things changed, you know, I was totally different. And she asked me, she said, do you still, she said, are you in love with me? You still love me? Are you in love with me? I said, of course, I still love you. I said, now this term, are you in love with me? I, I don't recognize that term. You know, I recognize love for what it is, you know, but I don't recognize that term of being in love with someone, you know. So the the the, the phrases and the colloquialisms and all of that, it just felt like I was what uh, it happened. I was 39. I felt like I was a one year old in a 39 year old body, still relearning everything that people were saying to me. You know, I would still get people and family, even her. Sometimes she would say, you used to be this you used to be that, you know, you're not that anymore. And I, I would say, I don't even remember who I don't remember those things. I'm sorry, I don't know. It sounds like I was a great person and still am, but it was just hard to grasp that again. You know, it was it, it was a very hard pill to swallow, you know, especially when it seems like everybody look at you as this 39, I'm 45 now, as this 39 or 40 year old man and expect you to behave like a 39 or 40 year old man and perceive things the same way. But I just didn't perceive it that way. You know, again, it, it just felt like I was perceiving everything for the first time. You know, the phrases, the things that people was close to, um, conversations people was having, you know, even the, the dissension and the hate and the greed that I saw on television, that even made me feel some kind of way. It Hell, I almost started to cry when I saw it on television, saw these things that I just didn't understand. I didn't understand it. You know, it was very confusing to me. Did you experience love on the other side? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love, that's how I found out that when I, re when I regained consciousness and I said I saw this light around my family and everything, that was, I recognized that as being love, you know, because on the other side, it was just this, this feeling of oneness or belonging, if it makes sense, it's hard to explain. I found out when I saw that on my family and I realized that love was not a word or an emotion or just something people say. I found out that love was an entity, that love was a living being, you know, and that it just like the creator 
can exist in many places at all times in all periods of time. You know, I recognize that. And my my best friend and a couple of people asked me, they said, they said, did you talk to God? Did God talk to you? An angel, somebody talked to you? What did they say? And it was, we had to explain it to him. I said, I said, you know, everything that happened over there, I said, it was all conveyed with me in the spiritual matter, the spiritual nature. It wasn't said with words. It wasn't said with the mouth where you can repeat it. You know, it was, it, it said, it, it was just, it's almost like it was in a spiritual language, a pure spiritual language where you don't need your mouth to talk, you know, where you don't need to communicate that way to be communicated to, you know, and that's how I felt. That's how. That's how I got one of the first words that came out of my mouth when I talked to people when I began, when I was able to talk and everything was love. You know, um, my brother had a, a benefit for me in December that year. And people asked me what was told to me or anything that I had to say. And it was like, the first thing was like love, you know, learn how to love and accept it into your life and, and everything will be okay and you look at life totally different especially when you know it's not just a word or just an emotion you know that it lives you know it lives it's 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 a totally totally different understanding that you will have you know that you will experience with life after once you notice that that makes sense. It's fascinating that you said love itself was its own entity. Do you basically think that that entity is God or something different? I, uh, it is, it is an extension of God. I believe it's an extension of God. Um, just like they say, um, with the Trinity, you know, God, son, Holy ghost, and whatnot, the, the son and the Holy spirit were all an extension of the creator. Love is an extension of the creator as well. You know, did you happen to see love physically as the entity? I just felt it. I felt it. You know, it was a natural feeling. It was like, I was only able to see it when I came over into this realm, <laughs> you know, when I was able to see it that way. You know, just like most spiritual things, most spiritual things you can't see with human eye. If you had to make a guess, who do you think was calling your name? Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know if it was someone just calling my name or just to tell me to come back. <laughs> You know, or, I mean, that's the only reason I would think someone would call that name, you know, because honestly, I think the creator, I don't think the creator would have to do that because he knows me by my original form and by my original name, so to speak. You know, um, I always said that there's a thing in the Bible, I think it was Abraham, 
when he asked uh, God, he said, what is your, or Moses, who was one of them, he said, what is your name? And he said, in Hebrew, Ahaya Asher Ahawa, uh, which means I am that I, I am what I will to be, you know, or I am. And at that moment, when I was up there, that's how I felt. I just was, you know, um, I was, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just was, it was, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain spiritual matters in a physical world sometimes, you know, um, we can do our best to try to, you know, you know, try to get across the best we can, but I think like the pure language of the spiritual world and the pure understanding of the spiritual world, we couldn't probably comprehend with our human faculties. You mentioned when you first came back that you felt rested. Do you think that was because you were healed on the other side or you were having some type of spiritual peace? Oh, I, I don't know. I think that because I, because physically and spiritually, before everything happened, I felt like I was just exhausted. You know, I was exhausted from fighting, uh, trying to figure out my next step, what to do, this, that, you know, anxiety, pain. I was just so tired, you know. So when that happened and I felt like I felt rested, it just felt like I was, it felt like I had been asleep for a long time, <laughs> you know, for a long time. And my spirit, my spirit felt, I want to say clean. It felt without any kind of burden, without kind of any kind of heaviness or ill feelings or uh, anticipation. Any, It didn't have anything. It just felt neutral. You know, my spirit, spirit felt neutral you know it was like it, it was like a you know it was like a sponge where it was soaking in other stuff and whatnot but before the sponge starts soaking in all that moisture is just there you know it's not heavy at all from the water you know it's not lopsided from water going to this side and that side and whatnot it was just there and that's how my spirit felt it's like I was just there with nothing on it you know, it was, it, it was, it was like, it just like, a, like you can just like exhale, just go, you know, um, I try, I, I try to be mindful of the things I say because every, every since I've had people that I know pass away and stuff like that, family members, friends and stuff. And some of them from one stroke, you know, and I had 26 of them, you know, so I didn't want to sound insensitive by saying certain things. So I tried to be mindful of some of the things I said. Uh, but when you, when you pass away or when you die, Elder people and older people, that's why when they get to like 90-something, 80-something, they say, I'm tired, I'm ready to go. They're not afraid because this felt, they don't have anything to hold on to. They don't live their life. They're actually tired. And it does feel 
it does feel <laughs> trying to say this without offending anybody. It feels a relief and good to just let go. You get that last breath out and it's like you just let go. And then after that it's just I wanna say smooth sailing from that. No pain or anything. It just feels it feels like a release. It feels really relieved. It does. After your experience, did you become more religious? Uh no. Uh, I became more aware of spiritual things. Uh, I started seeing things for what they were. I started seeing things with different eyes, and that include religion and life and um, how people can and how religion is so much of an open door to where it's easy where it's easy for people to insert hate into it. You know, I was able to see things like that. Um, I was able to, I was more sensitive to energies and sensitive to spirits, you know. Um, I say probably a, about a year or so, a couple of years after that, I would start feeling like, uh, before I say that, I'm sick every day. Right now, I'm just toughing it out. I'm not feeling well right now. But um, a couple of years after I was feeling some kind of, you know, I was feeling very, I just felt nasty. It just felt just like compressed and it was sad and hurt. And I didn't understand it. I thought it was just part of, Maybe it was depression or something like that. Um, but it was shortly after that, it was uh accident, a train derailed in Washington. I don't know if everybody's seen that. It was a train derailment in Washington where there's people who had passed and everything. And I thought, okay, it's just a coincidence, didn't think anything of it. You know. Uh so went on throughout my life, went on, just continued living and battling my regular sickness. And, and I would start to feel it again sometimes. And then it would start happening. And uh, when I started feeling a little better, a couple of days later, then it was the Vegas shooting, you know. So I I was like, hey, could this be a coincidence, something? Yeah. I'm not thinking much of that. So... I let time go by again, and then I had this feeling again, and I was like, okay, something is about to happen that's going to affect everybody. I said, it. I can feel it. It's hurtful, but it's powerful, and it's something that's going to affect a lot of people, everybody across this world. And I had a feeling, and I even put it on my Facebook page, you know, uh, some people, a lot of people didn't really read it because they probably thought I was just being crazy <laughs> but it's on my Facebook page to this day but I was on my Facebook page and I started feeling okay and then that Friday because this was like in the middle of the week then that Friday George Floyd thing happened you know and I was like okay this is something <laughs> you know okay this is something and I still don't know how to I don't got a hang of this but this is something but I got tired of feeling that way so I kind of tried to ignore it, you know, because it was it was uncomfortable. 
you know, my brother brought up a passage in the Bible where Jesus took his disciples out and he told them to go into the wilderness with him. And he told them to wait. And he said, because he was feeling heavy and um, I think it was sad or something like that. And he asked, uh, I think he asked God to like relieve him of it a little bit. I think it was something of that nature. But I had asked the creator to relieve me of it because I didn't understand it and it was hurting. It was just too much. And I didn't have that feeling again. But I still have my regular sicknesses, the thing that came with the after effects of my hospital stay. But then I, and this was probably like very recently, probably like uh, the end of last year, I was said, I said, God, I said, I think I'm ready for it again. I said, I'm ready. You can give it back. I, I think I'm good enough to handle this again. Yeah, he, he didn't, he didn't disappoint. <laughs> so I was meditating in my closet. Uh, I get the best meditations when I'm in the dark, you know, in a closet. So I was meditating in a closet and I was meditating. And all of a sudden I saw these soldiers. It was like Russian soldiers because they had like green on and like red stripe in their hat. And I said, it seems like both sides, I said, but this, this is a Russian soldier. And I said, it's like they're going into battle, we're going to war with somebody. I don't know if it's us or what's about to happen to us, but Russian and these, some of all these Russian soldiers in war. Um, I wrote it down. I told my wife, she just looked at me. She said, okay, <laughs> you know, but it was unfortunate that like several months ago that Russia wanted to war at Ukraine and that thing happened, you know, and I was, I told my wife, I said, it's a blessing if this is a gift. I said, but it would probably be mean more to me if I knew what it meant to have these, if I knew dates or if it's supposed to help people, if it's supposed to keep these things from happening, you know, then I had another one. This was probably two weeks ago. I was in a in the closet again, you know, meditating. And I had this, uh, it was this vision and it was actually a voice too. And it said, it said football, soccer, because football is considered soccer in other countries, football, soccer, cafe, uh, Al Shahi. Uh, and I was like, I'm like, that's a Muslim, sound like a Muslim name and everything. This was like some weeks ago. You know, so I wrote that down, I wrote it down, everything and whatnot. And it was probably like, uh, I think it was like a few days later, that's when that Seoul, Korea, that thing happened with the soccer thing, you know, soccer. And I told my friend, my buddy, I said, I don't know what Al Shahid means. I keep thinking it's an Arabic name, you know. And so I started just looking around and looking at, the Quran and everything, like the Al Shahid, and I started finding the name and come to find out that Al Shahid means to witness. So I was like, oh, this was telling me to witness these things. So I'm still trying to get a grasp of it or understand how these things work. So my outlook on life is not so much as about religion, it's about, I want to say, truth, spiritual matters. Well, it, I went way above that. Sorry. It appears that you're getting premonitions of world events. 
and uh, negative ones, unfortunately. Right. And uh, I need to tune into your Facebook page regularly to see if anything's coming up. <laughs> Are you posting them regularly on Facebook or just occasionally? Well, uh, occasionally. The last ones, I think the last one, I, well, the last one about the football, I did post that. Uh, I did post that on Facebook. Uh, as I told my brother, again, I said, I'm like, I really want to know, maybe I pay attention to numbers, maybe it's time of day and stuff like that. Maybe they would home in on dates or something like that, because I don't know if these things are to prevent, to know these things is to prevent these things from happening or to prepare things. It's like, I'm not really sure why I feel the why I see these things, hmm. you know. Have you noticed that you have any other abilities since your NDE? Uh, well, I feel energies, <laughs> you know, just, you know, it, it seems like I'm sometimes sad a lot because I can almost feel energies, not just in my immediate surroundings, you know, it's, it's like a lot of sadness going on in this world and I can just like feel them. Um, I was seeing a therapist and she suggested that. I still should try to smile and laugh and be happy and things like that. And I told her, I said, it's kind of hard to, to be smiley and happy and happy go lucky when I know and feel so many people struggling and being in so much pain. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to just push that to the side, you know? Um, I mean, and it, it, it doesn't, help the fact that like i said i'm i'm always sick uh i have traumatic brain injury from the strokes um i have vertigo every day some days are better than others uh medicine don't help um my brain different parts fire so one moment i may be really tired really nauseous you know can't move or neuropathy from my leg. It's like, it's always something, but I still push through and stay optimistic that it's going to get better. And it's going to get better for me and my family. Uh, even if I can't work a steady job because of that and everything, I still feel it's going to get better. You know, I just... It's just who I am. Optimism, optimist, resilient, very resilient, <laughs> and hopeful. What you know, is and faith? What inspires you about your experience? Oh man, uh, the resilience part. You know that I was resilient. Go through everything that I was resilient to make it through everything, even death. You know, uh, I've been through a lot physically, but to know that faith, if it strong enough, it can bring you through because my daughter, she had just turned 18 and she had to make the decision to officially call it. And she said no. And that was hard on the 18 year old, you know, to do that for her father. And because of her faith and she was so sure that I was still in there, that I would come back and it, and it happened. And to know that, to see that that strong of faith come out of someone, especially 
my seed, <laughs> you know, and me believing that I can make it through and everything that I was going through, I, I, it just just gave me, it just inspired me to just keep, keep going and keep fighting. You know, I was always wanting to keep fighting, even though I kept running into brick walls and never stopped me. And to know that I can survive this, I'm like, if I can survive that, I'm like, I know I can survive what else is coming my way, you know? And that was my hope. To, that was my hope to give to other people when I shared my story to let them know that everything that you experience in life, no matter how bleak it may seem, no matter how hard it may seem, if you make it through, you will find it yourself. You'll find yourself being strong enough to handle the next thing. And the next thing will come just a bit easier for you to handle it. And it will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's not to say that you won't encounter something. You're eventually going to encounter something in this life. But the goal is to make it through it so you can battle what's next to come. Because there's always going to be something that comes. The only difference that's going to be is how you handle it. You know, and if you make it through it. Do you fear death at all? No, I don't. That was the thing. Afterwards, I did not fear death at all because I knew that there was no death, if that makes sense. You know, I knew that there was no pain, nothing to be afraid of. Um, I didn't. I think what made people, because I know I had looked within myself, there's something I'm always self-analyzing. I think what people will make some people fear death is because they're afraid afraid of losing what's around them now. You know, attachment. You know, it's not to say don't love your mom, your family, whatnot. It's not to say that. It's just that people don't ready to lose what they have. They're not ready to keep growing while they're out here. You know, they're not ready to let that go. And that's why it's so easier for older people because they can already live their life. They don't have anything left to hold on to. So it's, you know, easier to go. So unless you can, unless you can separate, um, unless you can separate attachment and thinking that you have to have everything and everyone, you're going to fear death because you won't let, want to let anything go. And me now, I don't fear death, but I do believe that there's things that I still have to do. You know, but there's nothing to be afraid of when it do happen. You know, the sad people would be here. Jay, you have a book. What's the title and where can people find it? The name of my book is called The Second Time Around, A Memoir About a Life, a Death, and a Second Chance by L.J. Martin. You can find it on Amazon.com and you can find it on BarnesandNoble.com. Do you have a website? For anyone who is curious about uh, meditating or aromatherapy, um, they don't know how to meditate or you want to learn how or you want to uh, just have like accessories in your home to help you relax, like candles, essential oils or whatnot. Uh, I have a website. It's uh, www.daleth-am-sanctuary.com. Daleth is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it means door. So 
this is a door to help people find their inner self. Jay, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm always open to it. Granted, uh, uh, as some people know, there's sometimes I can't answer them right off, you know, right up front. Cause, uh, like I said, there's some days where I have my roller coaster, you know, of, you know, my illness, but yeah, I have no problem. I am very open to answering any questions. What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, I have, uh, my, e I have, my email or social media. My email uh, address is uh, is Mister. That's M R underscore Martin two one six at yahoo.com. or they can reach me on my Facebook page at Nasi Uzayel. Um, I know it sounds funny to some people, but Nasi Uzayel is Hebrew. Nasi means prince. Uzayel means the strength of God. How do you oh, spell? How do you spell that? Uh, Nasi is N-A-S-I. Uzziel is U-Z-Z-I-E-L. And that's Facebook. Uh, um, I would say I'm on Instagram too, but Instagram is all about pictures sometimes. <laughs> Stuff like that is not really my thing, but I'm usually on Facebook because my family and most of the people on there are my family and my friends. Yeah, but I'm open. I'm open for dialogue. All right, well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Regardless on the things you encounter in this world, always find and try to understand love. Love is not just an emotion. It's not an emotion. It's not um, just a saying. It's an it's a entity. It's, it's created. It's created to help us on our journey, if that makes sense. Love is about uplifting. Love is about creating. Love is about uh, establishing connections, positive connections. It's about evolution. Um, that's what love is. And if anyone who is willing to do those things with you and for you, they love you. And anyone who does opposite, they don't love you. You know, it's very easy to get confused with some people, but to know that if they're doing these things, they truly love you. And I love you. Rather I know you or not, or we've ever crossed paths because you are a creation from the most high and we're from the same source. I love you as I would love myself. Because we are from the same source. Jay, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. Thank you for having me. I am humbly grateful. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.